We should be very careful about artificial intelligence. We are summoning the demon. Hey, welcome back to the Babylon Singularity Podcast. I am your host, Peter Herter. Today, we are going to jump into 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and tackle the abomination of desolation that Paul refers to. Um, we're going to talk about how it uh, relates to the Mount of Olives what Jesus said about the abomination of desolation, what is the abomination of desolation, um, and what did Paul have in mind? How did it relate to what Jesus taught on the Mount of Olives? Why is it important to understand the abomination of desolation? Well, Paul refers to it as a marker in the end times. He says there's going to be an event that occurs that will be a marker that must happen before Jesus appears and we're gathered together to him. He actually says there's two events in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The first event is the apostasy or the rebellion, the falling away. And the second is that the man of lawlessness would be revealed. And not only would he be revealed, but he would take his place in God's temple and present himself as God. So it's important for us to understand what Paul is prophesying here. It's important for us to understand how it relates to what Jesus taught on the Mount of Olives. And it's important to understand that we don't have a very good idea of what Paul is talking about here. And what I mean by that is there's generally two perspectives of those who take these prophecies seriously. There's the preterist perspective that says, hey, all these things already occurred. The abomination, it happened. The abomination of desolation occurred in AD 70 when the Romans seized Jerusalem. They uh, broke through, uh, took over the temple. They set up their Roman symbols inside the temple, and the temple was destroyed. That was the abomination that makes desolate. Uh, so this already happened. So we just need to figure out how all of the rest of the Bible can fit into AD 70. And so that's what the, the, the Preterist perspective does, is, is uh, uh, works to bend and make things fit that really don't fit into AD 70. What I mean by that is that Paul says that Jesus would consume the man of lawlessness with the breath of his mouth, that he would bring him to nothing by his appearance. Preterist is kind of stuck with that one. Preterist has to say, well, um, yeah, Titus was definitely the guy who destroyed the temple. He was definitely the guy, the, the, the Roman general who led the forces against Jerusalem, who led the forces to destroy the temple. So Titus has to be our man of lawlessness. 
Um, and so then we're kind of stuck with the, when did Jesus appear and bring Titus to nothing? Um, I'm not sure exactly what the answer is to that question, but it's probably not a very good one. Um, it's not even good enough for me to remember what the, <laughs> what the answer actually is to that question. I mean, if you actually had a good answer to that question, I would probably remember what the answer was, but I can't eat, like, I, I would have to Google search what the answer is. So that tells me it's probably not a very good one. And there's probably 20 different versions of that answer that are, and they're all not good. So the preterist does not have a good answer for when did Jesus uh, disappear Titus? Mm. Was it when he was like, 95 years old, hanging out in his orchard and, and passed away and go, yeah, that's, that's when Jesus did it. You know, he kind of did it like everybody else gets it. You know, just eventually it happens. Seems a little bit small for what Paul is talking about here. If you're just honest, just for your, just for a second, just like, you know what? That's just a terrible answer. And then we just have to, you know, we live with terrible answers. It's fine. You know what? Own, own, if you got a terrible answer, fine. Own it. I'm going to have to come up with my own answer here. So I'm just prepping you. You, you can push on my answer and go like, oh, yeah, you say my, my, my answer's bad. How about let's hear your answer. You're going to hear my answer here in just a little bit. Give me a little bit of time. So that's the preterist perspective that, hey, uh, desolation of, um, sorry, the abomination of desolation already occurred, AD 70. Um, it was Titus, and, you know, eventually uh, Jesus got around to appearing to him and, and consumed him with the breath of his mouth or, or whatever um, happened. Uh, so we don't need to worry about uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 anymore because it, it already occurred. Then there's the futurist perspective that says, hey, um, well, uh, the, the man of lawlessness is going to um, take his place in the temple in Jerusalem and proclaim himself to be God. That has not happened yet. We're waiting for that to happen. Um, and so w when the Jewish nation gets around to building a temple and, um, and they establish it, you know, and they have the whole temple sacrificial system going and um, they, you know, reestablished the whole thing from the Old Testament, get the Levitical priesthood going and the, and the, and the heifers and the, the blood of the bulls and the, the goats and, you know, all, all, the whole nine, the whole, the whole temple sacrificial system up and going again. That's when the man of lawlessness is going to come in and take his seat in that building and say, I'm God and nobody else is, and then that temple will be desecrated. That's the, okay, sure. Am I underselling these two positions? Yes, I am. Okay, so I'll just admit it. I'm not doing a very good job selling the preterist position, and I'm not doing a very good job selling the futurist uh, conventional, I'll call it because I'm actually a futurist as well. I have a different solution than the solution. So the conventional futurist, I'll just call it the conventional um, futurist, would say, we're, we are waiting for the Jewish nation to reinstitute, reinstitute the temple. We're, we call it the third temple. And when the third temple is rebuilt, then we can really start paying attention to when um, the Antichrist or the man of lawlessness will come along, present himself, 
And then the abomination of desolation will occur when that third temple is made unholy by the presence and uh, presentation of the Antichrist as God in that temple. Then, then God says, okay, that temple is now desolate. I can't dwell there anymore. And it's, it's, uh, the house is empty. Okay, so that's the, that's the futurist, the conventional futurist, third, third temple re- rebuilt, all that. Antichrist comes in. Um, that's the abomination of desolation. My question for the futurist, you heard my question for the preterist, and, and, and uh, here's my question for the conventional futurist. How does an unholy temple become desecrated? Think about that for a second. How does a temple that's already unholy become desecrated? Here's the thing. Let's just say, for the sake of argument, the Jewish people do rebuild a third temple. Let's say they wake up tomorrow and just be like, you know what? We're sick of the Dome of the Rock up there. We're going to go ahead and bulldoze it, and we're going to um, do our very best to build Solomon's temple. We're, you know, we're going to do it, try to do it in all of its glory, make it as cool as possible. Let's just say it all works out. Let's just say the Palestinians, there's not like, you know, World War III doesn't break out over it or whatever. And everybody's just like, you know what? Yeah, this is a great idea. We like this idea. Let's go ahead and just, uh, you know, bulldoze the Dome of the Rock, and let's build the third temple, because... Because this is this is awesome. We all love this idea. Okay, so okay in that in that scenario, the Jewish people come. They they build it. They get they get the priesthood ready. They get the animals ready. They get the sac. They get the they they find the Ark of the Covenant wherever the Ark of the Covenant may be. Because it's tough to have a third temple without the Ark of the Covenant. I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there that um, you're going to go ahead and need to find the Ark of the Covenant first before you have a third temple, because that's the central feature of the temple. The Ark of the Covenant was the central feature of the temple. No one knows, I'm I'm assuming nobody knows, maybe somebody does know out there. If somebody does know where where it is out there, would love to hear about it. Um, Would love to see, you know, uh, see it. Because that'd be fantastic. You're definitely going to need that before you get the third temple going. And they build the temple around the Ark of the Covenant. They get the the sacrifices, the bulls, the goats, the blood's flowing. Um, the whole priesthood's up there. This is this is all fantastic. The world's like, this is great, awesome. In what sense is that temple in that scenario holy? Just just curious. Uh, Jesus is the Messiah. If Jesus is God, which he is, if there's no other way around Jesus, which there isn't, Jesus made it very, very clear multiple times there is no other way to God except through Jesus Christ. He may, I don't have to tell you that. Read the Bible. He says that for himself. So there is no scenario where the Jews go like, you know what? Uh, You know, we reject Jesus, but we accept God. 
And God says, oh, you know what? That's cool. You're, you're, you're uh, uh, rejecting the Messiah. You're, you're rejecting my redeeming Savior. You're, re- you're rejecting the blood that he shed for you. But it's cool that you're building a building for me and killing animals for me. So I'm going to go ahead and just call it good. Um, so go ahead and get this whole thing going. We'll call it good, even though you're rejecting everything about me. And we'll just, just, uh, I know I said a few things in the New Testament there. I know Jesus said a few things there. I, I get it. I, you know, let's just let, you know, bygones be bygones just for a few years, because let's face it, I'm kind of stuck here. Um, uh, there's some prophecies out there that need to be fulfilled and it doesn't look like they're going to be fulfilled unless the Jewish people build this temple. They reject Jesus. And I got to call this temple holy so that I can make sure it's desecrated later by the Antichrist. So if the Jewish people build a temple and they do it outside of faith in Jesus Christ, that temple is not holy. It is not holy in any way, shape, or form. In no way does God take that effort and go, you know what? I call it good. We'll just call this holy. And, you know, the whole, the whole Jesus thing, yes, all right, whatever. We'll just go ahead and put that to the side right now. There is no scenario where Jesus is put to the side. None. There is no way ever that Jesus is sidelined so that people can do something on the side. Okay, there is no side. There is through Jesus Christ alone, period. If you don't say amen to that, you need to get saved. You, you need to believe in Jesus and you need to uh, study New Testament theology. You need to just study what Jesus says about himself. You just read the gospel, okay? I, I, like, I don't know how to help you if you think that there's some other way outside of Jesus. I don't, because you're, you're actually a heretic. If you believe that there's some way outside of Jesus Christ to have relationship with God, you are a heretic. Sorry to like say it so straightforward to you, but if you think there is some other way outside of Jesus Christ to have relationship with God, you're a heretic. So I, I, I'm just going to go ahead and align myself with the word of God. Go ahead and align myself with the, with the truth and just tell you that. And then if you have a problem with that, I'm going to go ahead and let you take that up with God and the word of God. And, and you tell me where there's from the New Testament, from the teachings of Jesus, Paul, Peter, John, where you can find anywhere that you can have a relationship with God outside of Jesus. But, 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 they're going to build a really cool temple and they're going to have really cool animal sacrifices and they're going to have really cool hats and, and decorated vests and stuff. Yeah. Cool. So it's going to be like the Shriners, like the, like God doesn't look at the Shriners and like, you know what? For the most part, you know, I, 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 you know, you have to have a relationship with me. You have to come to me in faith and obedience, but Hey, since you weird wear a weird hat with tassels on it and you have a cool building that you do weird stuff in, we'll just go ahead and call that good. Like that doesn't even make sense at any level. So please just, just agree with me on that. Just agree with me on that, please. Are they, like, 
And maybe you go like, I don't even know, like, I don't even know what your argument would be where a temple that's not built on Jesus Christ is holy to God at all. So it's not holy. There is no sense in where the temple, a real rebuilt third temple would be holy unto God. No sense, zero sense. Yet here we are waiting for it to be rebuilt. Hmm. Why would we be waiting for a third temple to be rebuilt when there in no sense it can be holy? So that's a problem. If you believe that the abomination of desolation is the third temple being rebuilt in Jerusalem and the Antichrist going in and making that temple unholy, that's a problem. That's a massive problem. And maybe, 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 maybe there's some answer for that. And I'm guessing the answer for that is probably somewhere on the level of the answer of when Jesus appeared and consumed Titus with the breath of his mouth. I'm like, I'm, I'm sure we can weave up weird answers for whatever. And hey, hey, it's your brain. It's your existence. If you want to like make up weird answers for, to questions like that, have at it. But you know what? I'm calling you to align with the word of God right now because it's it, like playtime is over. Like, I know we were like, hey, you know, whatever. It doesn't really matter what we believe about the Bible and the, the end times and stuff. I'm telling you, it does matter what you believe about the end times. Paul believed it mattered what you believe about the end times. Paul was about supplying the faith of the Thessalonian church. He wanted to supply their faith. He wanted them to have a full faith. They, he didn't want them shriveled in one area or another. First and foremost, he wanted them abounding in faith and love. So you, you check those boxes. If you're, if you're abounding in faith and love, those are massive. Those are the main ones. Like you can, you can shrivel up in some other areas, but if you're abounding in faith and love, then Paul's rejoicing. He's going, oh, I love to hear that you guys are abounding in faith and love. He's reflecting the, the heart of Jesus there. His church is abounding in faith and love. Please, please always make faith and love your priority. Make love your aim. We need to be loving God, loving each other, abounding more and more and more and more and more. I will never, ever underemphasize how important faith and love is. But Paul didn't stop there. And we can't either. If we want an apostolic faith, if we want the faith of Paul, the faith of Peter, the faith of the New Testament, then we have to have a fully orbed faith. Because if we're insufficient, if we're just blocking God off in his truth and not aligning with his word, and we're just choosing to be shriveled in an area, then we're going to be troubled in the days ahead. God would have us to be grounded in the apostolic faith of Paul. We want to believe what Paul believed. We don't want to believe what some other dude came along and started teaching about this or that. We want to believe what was in Paul's faith, because that's the faith that he is supplying to the Thessalonians. So when Paul came to the, the Thessalonian church, established them initially, 
he sat down and talked to them about the end times. Well, we need to understand that he was building on the teachings of Jesus Christ. He was building on the teaching of the Olivet Discourse. That's Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. Paul says, hey, don't you remember when I was with you? In fact, let me just go ahead and read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And then I'm going to go ahead and expound. And before I do that, I'm going to pray quick. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your saints, for your church, that you're preparing to meet you soon and you're soon coming. And we're asking you, God, to give us the faith of Paul. Let us align with your word. Let us be grounded in love abounding in faith. We're asking for the power of your spirit to minister to each hearer of your word. We open your word now. We're asking you to teach us, God. Teach us from your word. We long for you. We long for your appearing. We want to be with you. We want to be with you now. Help us. In the name of Jesus. Okay, if you got your Bible, go ahead and open it up. Second Thessalonians this is the second letter that Paul's writing. He, he's he's uh, teaching on the end times. He, he touches on the end times in the, in the first letter of Thessalonians. He circles the wagons in Second Thessalonians and wants them to be crystal clear on a couple of facts. I'm going to go ahead and read, and then we'll talk about it. Verse 1. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him... We ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he's out of the way. Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power, false signs and wonders, with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved." Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So Paul is writing to the Thessalonian church. He addressed a few um, things in his first letter. He comes back and says, hey guys, I want to make sure you're clear on this, that you did not miss the day of the Lord. He did not miss his appearing. 
a couple of things have to have to happen before we're gathered together with him. First thing, the rebellion or the apostasy, the falling away, this great delusion that will come. And secondly, the man of lawlessness will be revealed and he will take his seat in the temple of God. So what is Paul talking about there? That's that's what I want to zero in on. Paul is building on the teachings of Jesus when Jesus points to Daniel, the prophet Daniel and says, "Hey, you need when you see the abomination of desolation set up spoken by Daniel the prophet." And there's a little note in there that says, "Let the reader understand." So Paul understands what Daniel is talking about. Paul understands that the abomination of desolation is an event that occurs when the temple is made unholy, is desecrated. Jesus pointed to the desecration of the temple in his generation. When he was on the Mount of Olives, the disciples were asking him, you know, he was, they were pointing to the temple and said, oh, isn't this, isn't this amazing? This building is amazing. Jesus said, you see all this? Not one stone will be left upon another. Jesus says, this house is coming down. And that was, a, that was just further confirmation of many things that Jesus had been saying all along, saying that the time of the temple was past, saying that he left the house in Jerusalem desolate, empty. He said, I leave to you your house desolate. And you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus says, the temple that you see there in, in Jerusalem, the, that, that big, amazing building that Herod built, it's empty. God's not there anymore. And not only that, but your rejection of me means you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Thereby leaving the temple desolate. And then Jesus says, look, now the clock starts ticking. It will happen in this generation when this city will be surrounded by an enemy army the temple will be destroyed, the abomination of desolation, the end of the temple. That's what Jesus was prophesying all throughout his ministry, that the temple was coming to an end. When Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, Daniel prophesied about the abomination of desolation, the time when the temple would be made desolate. AD 70, the temple falls. The temple is over. It's done. But Paul refers to an abomination still yet to come in the end times. And this is the part that the preterist doesn't deal with. Paul is referring to a man who is coming that Jesus is going to kill in his appearing. When Jesus appears, he is going to consume the man of lawlessness with the breath of his mouth. He's going to disappear the man of lawlessness. So Paul puts the abomination of desolation into 
the end times. The question is, are there multiple abominations? Is, are there multiple events that you can point to and say, okay, the, there's not just one abomination of desolation, there's actually several. Now, I would say emphatically, yes, clearly there are multiple abominations of desolation. The first major one occurred in about 170 BC when the Maccabeans revolted against Antiochus Epiphanes. When Antiochus set up a statue or an idol for Zeus and sacrificed pigs in the Holy of Holies and desecrated the temple. That was one abomination that made desolate. Prophesied also in the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel actually prophesies the abomination of desolation that was set up by Antiochus Epiphanes. So that's one. The second abomination that made desolate was the prophecy of Jesus saying, when you see the Romans come and seize Jerusalem, when the Romans come and set up their pagan symbols inside of the temple, that is the second abomination of desolation. So we've got two Antiochus Epiphanes, then the second is the Romans, so that's two, and there is yet a third and future abomination of desolation. And this is the one that Paul is talking about that occurs in the end times. So there is yet a greater abomination of desolation, but here's my point and here is my answer. Listen carefully so you understand what I'm saying. Antichrist or the man of lawlessness is not coming into a third temple. That's already been done. There is no sense in which a third temple can be made holy to, to begin with, to even desecrate it later. That scenario is nonsensical. That is not what we are looking for. That is not what Paul is referring to here. So when Paul says he is going to come and take his seat in the temple of God, what temple is Paul talking about? It's not the temple in Jerusalem. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God? What we need to understand is the temple points to something greater than itself. The temple was never really about the temple. The temple was always about God's dwelling place on earth. It was how God would dwell on earth. When God instructed the priests, the Levites, to make sacrifices from animals, to cleanse the temple and make it holy for the people, and for God to dwell with his people in his house. A couple, a couple things that are very clear. God would never live, God doesn't need a house to live in. 
He lives in he lives in heaven. He doesn't like, oh man, if somebody would just build me a shed, then I could finally like live on the earth. And oh, if somebody could just kill some animals, then finally I could, you know, hang out with you guys. All of those symbols point to the greater reality of Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus says, I, he says, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. He's not talking about the, the, the building that Herod made to, to appease the Jews and, and bring the Jews under ro- greater Roman power. He's not talking about that temple. Shoot, the Pharisees didn't even like that temple. They, there was all sorts of problems with that temple. You don't even have to ask Jesus about the problems with the temple. Just ask the Pharisees what the problems with the temple were. They they could go all day long about the problems with the temple. Jesus says, no, 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 no. I don't care about destroying it. Like that, that temple will be destroyed. It will be raised to the ground. It will never be raised again. He says, destroy this temple. I will raise it in three days. What temple was he talking about? He was talking about the temple of his body. It's the human frame. That is the temple of God. The physical temple in Jerusalem was a symbol that pointed to Jesus who's making God's abode in the human frame. So when Paul says, don't you know that you are the temple of God? You are the temple of God, not some building somewhere. No, it's you. Well, how can I be the temple of God? God says, I made that temple as pointing to this greater reality that I'm not going to live in some building somewhere. I'm going to live in you. So the great call of God, the great call of the creator is that I will make my abode inside of you. You are my temple, not some building of brick and stick. It's you. So when the Antichrist comes along and takes his seat in the temple of God, we're not talking about a building. We're talking about the human frame. It is the human frame that is the temple of God. Because every human is created and designed to be a temple of God. Not everyone receives, not everyone accepts that invitation. A lot of people want nothing to do with that invitation. Many people just Yeah, yeah, God wants to dwell on me. Yeah, God wants to fellowship with me. Not interested, thank you. They keep that door to the temple shut. Now, many receive the invitation of God, accept him and believe on the Lord Jesus. And through the blood of the lamb, the perfect lamb that was shed for us, our temples are made clean and we're called to be priests and to hold our bodies, our minds, our spirit, and our souls as temples for the living God, that the living God would dwell in us in far greater measure than he dwelt even in that building. And we as priests are to be zealous to keep pollutions out and to receive the cleansing blood of the lamb and make our human frame the abode of God, that we would be the temple of God. That is the great call. That's the great invitation. We are the temple of God. So then what happens to 
the fallen, as they reject that invitation, they too are the temple of God. They are designed, created by their creator to be a temple. It's just they reject the invitation. They won't come to God. They reject him at every level. Well, the time is coming when they will open the doors to their temple. The fallen will open the doors of their temple and invite the Antichrist into their frame. So when the, anti, when the man of lawlessness takes his seat in the temple of God, he's not doing it in some building somewhere, making some unholy building more unholy by doing some crazy thing. No, 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 no. He's not doing that. He's hacking into the human frame. He's hacking into the holy of holies, into the deepest part of the human frame. And the time will come when he has opened that door and the fallen have let him in and he presents himself in a moment, in a global worldwide moment when he is hacked into the deepest part of the human frame and he presents himself seated on the throne of the human frame and says, I am your God. And the fallen say, yes, you are our God. That is the abomination of desolation. That is when the fallen have sealed their fate. It will be through the mark of the beast. It will be through the mark that will open the temple doors. The mark of the beast will open the temple doors. That is, it will be presented as Satan presented the fruit to Adam and Eve. Don't you want to be like God without relationship with God? Don't you want to take God's place and evict God from your life? Don't you want to do that? I've got a nice shortcut for you. Just open the temple doors. Let me in to your most holy place. Receive me in as your God. The man of lawlessness will take his seat, present himself as God. The fallen will say yes. And God will say, this is the abomination that makes your temple desolate. Game over. That is the seriousness of the mark of the beast. That is the seriousness of when the mark comes and is presented as the solution to humanity's future. It's the solution to Sickness, crime, war. It's the solution presented just as Satan presented the fruit to Adam and Eve. The invitation to become like God, to become gods without God. That's where this thing is going. So should we be looking for the Jewish nation to rebuild the third temple? I don't know. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon. My point is we're looking in the wrong direction. 
we already, we've already seen what God would do with the temple in Jerusalem. It already happened. It's, it's called AD 70. Just look. He wiped it out. My point is this. We shouldn't be looking for a third temple. We should be looking for the guy who's trying to hack into the human frame. Who's the guy who wants to drill a hole into your skull? Who's the guy who wants to get into the deepest part of you? Who's that guy? Stop looking for the Jews to, the Jewish nation to, you know, build a menorah or genetically modify some cows or whatever, whatever the thing is. <laughs> Stop looking for that. You can look for that all you want. That's fine. I, I don't care. It's, it's fine. That's not where you're going to find it, though. I can tell you that. You're not going to find the prophecy that Paul is speaking in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 in some fringe thing happening in Israel. It's, that's not where it's going to happen. It's going to happen right before your eyes, if you have eyes to see it. If you have eyes to see it. It's the guy who wants to hack into you. That's the guy to watch for. So my point is, we'll go ahead and uh, wrap this up, is we need to have a fully orbed faith, the very faith that Paul had, the, the faith that he was building in the Thessalonians. And part of that faith is understanding what Paul is talking about when, he, when he's teaching about the end times. We can't let anyone deceive us. Paul says, don't let anyone deceive you by any means. Don't let anyone talk you out of what I'm telling you right here. And what I'm telling you right here is this, that our gathering together to him, his appearing and our gathering together is not going to happen until the apostasy happens first. And secondly, the man of sin is revealed and he sets himself up in the temple of God. What is that temple? Is it some building somewhere? No, that temple is the human frame. Do you not know that you are the temple of God. Every human being is designed and created by the creator to be a temple, to be the abode of God. So if you believe in Jesus Christ, receive that calling as a priest to present your temple to God, to keep pollution and sins away to receive the cleansing blood of the lamb to devote your temple to the fellowship and worship of the living God. You are a priest and you are commissioned to keep your temple for God. Keep your temple for God. If you do not know Jesus, you are in great danger. A delusion is coming. A man is working to hack into your inmost being. And if you open your temple doors to him, if you allow him, if you allow him in, your fate is sealed. I think that pretty much sums it up uh, today. I'm trying to keep these episodes a little bit 
uh, shorter. Hey, if if some of the things I'm saying to you is are, are that if they're speaking to you, if they're helping you, if they're blessing you, if they're opening your eyes, if I ask you. Um, to help me by spread the word of this prod- podcast, spread the word, um, get it out there. Go, hey guys, I've I've, I've gotten a few guys, a uh, few few folks out there who've who've been blessed by what I'm doing here. It will really help me if you're like, oh wow, this this is amazing. This is uh, a blessing to me. This is uh, opening my eyes afresh and new to God's word. Um, and this is a new perspective that I, I haven't heard before, and I want to hear more of it. Um, get out there, spread the word. Um, however, however you can do it, spread this, this podcast around. I'm hope I'm, I'm praying that you're blessed by what you're hearing. I'm praying that you are, um, aligning with the word of God, that your heart is aligning with Jesus, that you're drawing deeper into, uh, intimate fellowship with him, into trusting, loving reliance on Jesus Christ alone. That's my one and only prayer that you would know him and make him known. So I'm here. This is uh, the Babylon uh, Singularity Podcast, and I'm, this is Peter Herter kind of signing off, saying, keep watching, praying, and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. Till next time. That concludes this episode of Babylon Singularity. I want to thank you for tuning in. If you're looking to hear more from me, you can find me on Twitter as well as my website, BabylonSingularity.com. I've also authored a book titled Babylon, available on Amazon. I look forward to hearing any thoughts or feedback, comments that you may have to help me make this show better. I do hope it's a blessing to you, and I hope that you'll tune in next time to Babylon Singularity.